1: Put your arms out
0: Hello, listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. That song you're listening to is Sink Away from the Cadillacs, an indie soul duo from Dayton, Ohio. The Cadillacs is our featured musical artist this week, and I know you want to hear the rest of that song. So hang in there till the end of the podcast, and we'll play it for you and tell you a little bit more about that talent from Dayton. But for now, let's throw another log on the fire campers and settle in. We've got a real mystery for you tonight. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder. And with me as always is our research and storyteller, Paula Schleiss, an award-winning journalist who spent some 30 years telling these stories with the Akron Beacon Journal.
2: Hey, everyone.
0: All right, well, I'm in the mood for a good mystery, Paula. What do you have for us?
2: Well, how about a mystery within a mystery? wrapped inside a mystery
0: oh my that sounds like some kind of heavy lifting <laughs> we better get started so why don't you take us away
2: all right well for this story we're going to travel to 2002 and the cleveland suburb of Eastlake. it's july a hot summer day and a neighbor is complaining about a horrible smell coming from the apartment next to his You know, that's not a good sign. Yeah,
0: I don't like horrible smells coming from my next-door neighbor.
2: Well, of course, the authorities arrived to find a gruesome scene in the bathroom of the tiny efficiency apartment on Lakeshore Boulevard. The sole occupant is a 75-year-old man, and he's killed himself about seven days earlier from the obvious decomp of the body. He'd put a 38 caliber handgun to his head and pulled the trigger. He was quickly identified as Joseph Newton Chandler III. Now, the coroner says he was likely to die soon anyway. He had advanced colon cancer, and so there was no reason to linger. The, the body is released. It's cremated pretty quickly, and it's interred at Riverside Cemetery in Painesville Township.
0: So it's decided he gave up the fight.
2: Yeah, okay. yeah. Well, the, the guy, he, he had lived in this studio apartment in Eastlake for the past 16 years. Um, it, it was a very sparse existence. It had a small kitchen. It had a living area with the pull-out bed. There were some homemade gadgets laying around that suggested Joseph Newton Chandler III liked to tinker. Uh, there were some Get Rich QuickBooks, camera lenses, a few clothes hanging in the closet, empty vitamin bottles, and a calendar where he diligently crossed out the days until his death.
0: Okay, so nothing out of the
2: ordinary. No, no, other than it just seemed like he was living a very lonely existence. Right. And they soon learned that the gun they had recovered from the scene had been purchased uh, from a store just three months earlier. So it sounds like maybe he was planning it for some time. But it's what wasn't in the apartment that begins our mystery. There was no suicide note and no will. And that was going to be a problem because he had $82,000 in his bank account. That would be a problem. And a 1988 truck, both of which needed to be disposed of by probate court. So a Lake County judge appointed private investigator Larry Morrow to go find this guy's next of kin. So, Investigator Morrow starts with a reference to a sister on Chandler's rental agreement, you know, where someone has to put down an off-site Siblings. contact. Okay. Yeah. But that name turned out to be fake. She didn't exist. Her address didn't exist. Her phone number didn't exist. It was totally made up. Well, Investigator Morrow started looking through records to find any relatives. And that's when he made a stunning discovery. There was indeed a Joseph Newton Chandler III with the same social security number, but he had died back in 1945. Oh. The real Chandler was an eight-year-old boy from Tulsa, Oklahoma. He and his parents were traveling to Texas to spend Christmas with his grandmother when they collided head-on with a truck, killing the entire family instantly. Oh. So this had happened back in 1945. Okay. Okay. Well, of course, this sets off all sorts of red flags. I mean, the guy who had killed himself had stolen this little boy's identity and had been living under it for more than 30 years. But why? CIA spook. Oh, well, you know what? A man who would go to such lengths to conceal who he was was clearly somebody with a past, a past that authorities thought they needed to figure out.
0: Yeah, Definitely.
2: Well, it wasn't going to be easy. There was so little to go on. Chandler had a small scar on his stomach and male-pattern baldness, but no tattoos or identifying birthmarks. There was a computer in his apartment, but someone dropped it during the investigation, and they couldn't get any information off of it.
0: When the Barney Fife was doing that <laughs> investigation.
2: <laughs> well, here's the really strange thing: police couldn't find any usable fingerprints in his impar- in his apartment not even on the suicide weapon who lives in a space and leaves no fingerprints wow. behind So I don't know. I mean, did this fake Joseph Newton Chandler III make an effort to wipe everything down before he left this world?
0: Extremely odd. Unless he didn't have any fingerprints, he Uh, filed them all off
2: or something. Or I don't know. I don't know if
0: you file off fingerprints.
2: But well, I don't know. But it was another red flag. Like who does not leave behind fingerprints? Anyway, investigators are thinking. You know, whatever whatever this guy is hiding from is big and ugly. So they start taking a close look at all kinds of horrible cold cases from around the world. And they took a closer look at a man who had murdered his family in New Hampshire in 1962, uh, a man who vanished from New Jersey in 64. They looked at a guy from Australia who electrocuted his pregnant wife and three kids in 1970. Wow. Investigators said they even sat down and watched old episodes of America's Most Wanted, comparing dates and details just in case something stood out. They were thorough. They were, but nothing. They're getting nothing. So the media asks the public to help put a real name on this dead guy, and there were dozens of tips, of course. Each followed diligently. Not surprisingly, imaginations soared. People wondered if he was the rocker Jim Morrison, whom conspiracy theorists Ooh. believe lived long after his publicized overdose. Wanted to
0: go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and see himself.
2: Uh, oh, I don't. Yeah, he go. could never left Cleveland. That's right. <laughs> some uh, some wondered if the East Lake guy could be DB Cooper. He was that infamous hijacker last yes. seen in 1971. He had parachuted with a backpack full of money from the back of an airliner over yeah. the Pacific Northwest. Definitely and,
0: fascinated with that. You guy. know,
2: could he have been DB Cooper? Anyway, this search went on for 14 years. Wow. And no luck, but all the while, in the background, technology is slowly advancing, and finally it catches up. And the U.S. Marshal's office, they employ a new strategy that has been solving some other cold cases. DNA. Uh, DNA. It's the same thing. It's the genealogical DNA. And this is, this is the same thing we've mentioned that recently identified the Golden State Killer, it meant searching for relatives on a genealogy DNA database. But first, they needed DNA. Now, remember what happened the... to Joseph newton the III? Yeah, right. He was cremated. cremated. Well, U.S. Marshal Peter Elliott, really smart guy.
0: Oh, man, Peter Elliott's uh, all over the place. He's
2: on it. And he finds out, you know what, Chandler had surgery for colon cancer back in 2000. So he goes to the Lake County Hospital where he had his surgery, and he was successful. I don't know what the hospital still had with this guy's DNA on it, maybe an old blood sample or a something. straw. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, they had a straw that set aside just in case. But whatever, they got the DNA sample that they needed. And so Marshall Elliott Worked up uh had a blood lab work up a DNA profile. Now the DNA didn't get any hits in the national crime Di- database. That means that our um our chandler had not been incarcerated or had a close relative that had been jailed and DNA tested. So in June of 2016, Marshall Elliott takes the next step. He sends the sample to Colleen Fitzpatrick and Margaret Press. Those Uh, scientists, they're forensic genealogists in California, they created the DNA Doe Project. And what they do is use the Y chromosome in a DNA profile. That's something that's shared by all males in a family. And they see if they can link it with anybody who has voluntarily submitted their DNA to a national genealogy database. And wouldn't you know it, the DNA Doe Project got a hit. Oh. First cousins. They found some first cousins. So this is close. It's not it's not right on board yet. So knowing the names of some of our East Lake suicide victims relatives allowed them to start putting together a family tree. And then they start looking at this family tree to see is there anybody in here who would be a candidate, and they find first cousins to these people in this database was a family from New Albany, Indiana. Their last name was Nichols and they had four boys. They found death notices for three of those boys, but the fourth had disappeared from the record and he just, there was no death record and no indication he had been living for years. So that man's name, was Robert Ivan Nichols. Now, Nichols' uh, investigators learned turned out to have three sons, and U.S. Marshal Elliott quickly found the eldest son, Phil. He was living in Cincinnati, right here in Ohio. okay. And Phil gave them uh, a DNA sample, and that confirmed once and for all that the man who had been living as Joseph Newton Chandler III in Eastlake was really Robert Ivan Nichols. So, who was Robert Nichols? Well... Uh, he grew up in New Albany. That was right across the Ohio River from Louisville, Kentucky.
0: Okay, so it's kind of close to Ohio and on that side. Yes. Ohio and
2: Kentucky. Uh, yeah, okay. right, exactly. Kind of where the, where they all, where those. yeah, right, oh, right, right, right. His roots didn't uh, go very far from where his kids ended up. And he joined the Navy straight out of high school, where he turned out to be something of a war hero on May 3rd, 1945, he was a firefighter aboard the USS Aaron Ward when the Japanese bombed it near Okinawa. He cared for the wounded and the dying. He helped pump water out of the ship. All of this before realizing he had been wounded himself. He had taken shrapnel to the back and hip, and for that he received the Purple Heart. Well, he returned to New Albany, but he was so upset with what had happened that he burned his naval uniforms in the backyard. In 1947, he married a union that produced three sons. During this time, he was a draftsman for, the, for General Electric. He yeah. had become a, an electrical engineer. Okay. But his son, Phil, said his father was a strange man. He said, and this is a quote from him, he was there and he wasn't. He was like a stranger who lived in our house. He was with us But he rarely interacted with us. Oh, wow. That is a strange Very, very cryptic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then apparently Nichols, he was done pretending to care. In 1964, he left his family and he told his wife, in due time, you'll know why. So Hmm. that certainly confirmed to U.S. Marshal Elliott that Nichols was a wanted man whatever for, he was wanted for something. Mm -hmm. Elliot told a reporter, and this is a quote, he was a decorated war veteran, he had a wife and three boys, he had a good life, and he walked away from it all. He did something, somewhere, at some time, that he wanted to hide from. Now, after leaving his family, Nichols moved around the country. It appears his first stop was Dearborn, Michigan. He told his family he was working in the car industry, and he even allowed his sons to visit him once. But he put them up in a motel, and he wouldn't let them stay at his residence. A year later, so we're still in the mid to late 60s, he moved to Richmond, California. From there, he made his last contact with his family. He mailed an envelope to his son, Phil, that contained a single penny and no note. And that was it. He vanished. Wow. What a weird thing to send that your is. kid. What is the message there? Right. Here's a penny. This is what... Yeah. Huh. Uh, there's so my, I don't know. There's is... my pay for supporting you, I guess. That's what you're uh, worth. I don't know. That's pretty bad. I don't know. That was... Yeah. What a horrible thing for a kid to get from their dad. Well, investigators uh, now... Uh, they, they had enough to finish following his trail around the country. In 1978, that's when he ceased to be Robert Ivan Nichols. He drove to Rapid City, South Dakota, and he applied for a social security card under the name of Joseph Newton, Chandler III. You know, it wasn't hard to do that back then. Kids, they didn't get social security numbers until they were old enough to work, and all you needed was a copy of your birth certificate, which is public record anyway. Oh, so you could get that.: And some excellent. personal information. they just ask you, well, what's your birth date, what's your child's parents, name, you know names. And those were all on the birth certificate that you just picked up. Hmm. Because they're public record. Those were the days. So that was super easy. Hmm. So later that year, uh, Nichols, under his new identity, moved to Cleveland. So he worked as a draftsman at Edco Company, then later at Lubrizo, which is a chemical company in Wycliffe, uh, as an electrical engineer. And in 1985, he landed where authorities would ultimately find him, in that Cleveland suburb of Lakeshore East Lake, Kent, Lake. Lakeshore Boulevard. Well, those who knew him there, they said he didn't drink or smoke, he was very antisocial, and he came across it somewhat ill at ease in public. Oh, like me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, yeah. Far, far <laughs> from you. He, he actually once went to a Halloween party dressed as Al Capone and then stood in the back and spoke to absolutely no one the entire night. Yeah, Al Capone would have talked to people. He would have. Yeah. yeah, he was not play acting very yeah. well. Yeah, actually, I have a photo of him in his Al Capone outfit. I'm going to put it on the website. And, okay. you know, knowing what we know now about him and looking at that photo, it's really kind of creepy. Oh, man. He put a lot of effort into his outfit. You'd think he would have been more yeah. into the party, but apparently not.
0: Being braggadocious and yeah. you know,
2: nothing. Not not playing the role. Now, co-workers said he was a loner. He didn't talk about his private life much, but there were two really strange conversations they reported. One coworker said Nichols told him that he wanted to share something about himself, but it would have to wait. Hmm. And then another one told investigators that Nichols said people who were chasing him were getting close, but he never explained what he meant by that.
0: You know, if somebody's uh, you know schizophrenic or something like that, that kind of you know shows in other ways. Just for him be nor- living a normal life, he
2: may be telling the truth. Um. Yeah. Oh, I think he is. And by the time I'm done with this, oh. you're you're going to believe okay. it. Some All people right. are chasing him All too. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. We're not done. <laughs> <laughs> there was one other really strange incident. There was a hospital record from 1989 when he ended up at a hospital in Willoughby with lacerations to his penis. Oh. Uh, he told doctors he cut himself trying to masturbate with a vacuum cleaner. Oh, I hate when that happens. I, well, you know... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I gotta wonder, too, How old though. How
0: he at this point? I mean, that's stuff you do when you're 17, 18 years old. Yeah, and...
2: no, no. He, oh. but at this point, he's middle-aged on his way to to elderly. Yeah, oh. well, Middle-aged, I think, in 89. Okay. Yeah. So we, you know, we've got a few mysteries solved here. We know who Joseph Newton Chandler really was, and we know much of the trail made by Robert Ivan Nichols in his 72 years, but the biggest mystery of all is still waiting to be solved. What was Nichols running from? Now, Steve, I know you're pretty knowledgeable about serial killers, and you're going to want to jump all over that theory. Yes. So let me give you a bone. Okay. People have pointed out that Nichols lived in California when the Zodiac killer was on the loose. The Zodiac, and when you see the artist sketch made from eyewitnesses who saw the Zodiac next to a photo of Robert Ivan Nichols, I have it in my head right now. You're going to think it's a slam dunk. Oh, yeah. That uh, fo- those photos are also on our website, OhioMysteries.com. But well, from what I understand, there's so little physical evidence in the Zodiac case, and authorities have yet to announce a match and that or any other case Interesting. but i have to believe that with modern technology this one isn't going to remain a mystery forever someone is going to figure this one out and probably sooner than later yeah hey maybe that someone is our armchair detective
0: yeah maybe it will be our armchair detective that'd be nice this is a segment of our episode where we chat with an ohio mystery listener like you and ask about their thoughts and theories of the
2: case Well, we would like to welcome with us tonight Mary Beth Breckenridge from Brecksville, Ohio. Hi, Mary Beth. Hi. Mary Beth is a former journalist, a very stellar career at the Akron Beacon Journal. Did you work anywhere else before the Beacon?
3: I did. I worked at the Youngstown Vindicator for five years. Awesome. Yep.
2: Okay. And she left the Beacon and reinvented herself as a realtor uh, covering the housing market throughout Northeast Ohio. That's right. So, that's awesome. Yep. Big change. (laughs) That's great. Just the way I reinvented myself as a podcaster. So we journalists sometimes in this uh, climate, we have to go become something else. There's life after journalism. (laughs) There is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, let's uh, cut to the chase, Mary Beth. All right. Um, Who was Robert Ivan Nichols, ultimately? Is he a serial killer that we're waiting to discover?
3: Well, you know, that was the first thing that leapt to my mind, for sure. Because, you know, what else would you try so hard to push into your past? (laughs) But then I thought, you know, I mean, there are probably a lot of other things that you can run away from. I mean, I really wonder, well, I grew up in Youngstown, so (laughs) I hate to say it, but the mafia (laughs) came right to my mind. I really wondered, you know, could he have gambling debts? That, you know, was somebody after him for that? Did he know something that somebody wanted him hurt or killed over? Was there something else in his past that wasn't as awful as being a serial killer, but still he was either in fear for his life or feared that he might be arrested? And you also had
2: mentioned possibly he, he could have been connected to crimes other than murder.
3: Right. Such right. as? Right. Well, I <laughs> sexual predator? Oh, that's right, yeah. I mean, there was the vacuum cleaner incident, which was a little odd. Was he a predator? Was he a pedophile? I, I don't know. You would think that a, a sexual predator or a serial rapist would have been caught at some point. But if he was preying on children, maybe these kids might not have come forward. That vacuum cleaner incident, do you, like me, may think maybe he was attacked, attacked or somebody was defending themselves? And- uh, you know, actually... That sort of came to my mind even before his explanation. Like when I first heard that that's why he went into the hospital, I thought, yeah, I think I think that, that I mean, you know, yeah, I don't, off. I've never, I don't know, can you really injure yourself that much with a vacuum cleaner? That When yeah. he was cut, he was lacerated. So I don't know. I think yeah. somebody was trying to fend him off. So, yeah. I, th- I think that's a good guess. Yeah. I, you know, there's so many little
2: pieces to this mystery that are a mystery. For instance, that penny.
3: Did that, did that stick out in your mind at all? Oh, absolutely. Sent Why? a son a penny. penny With, with no note.
2: What Just a penny.
3: Yeah. I mean, I even went and looked up the symbolism of a penny. What does a penny mean? Well, we all, lucky penny. So maybe, you know, he was telling this kids, you're lucky I'm out of your life. Who knows? Um, pennies symbolize new beginnings. Maybe that's what he was sending it for. But then I thought like, is was he sending, was this a clue? Was this penny a clue? Did he kill or hurt someone named Penny, or someone named Lincoln, or someone named Abraham, or did he commit a crime in Lincoln, Nebraska? I mean, I just wondered, was he... But then why did he send it to his son, who presumably was fairly young at the time? I don't know. I don't know, but
2: I love the idea of there being a message in there, because... You know, when he told his wife, "In due time, you'll know why." You'll know, right. Maybe this was his way of like
3: expediting that. Like you haven't figured it out yet, so here's a penny. Right? Maybe this will point you in the right direction. I don't know. But then, why didn't he send it to his wife? <laughs> it's Good point. All, it's all Good so point. strange. And then, when he invited his
2: kids the first time he left his family, mm-hmm. he let his kids come up to Michigan and stay with him for a night,
3: but didn't let them go right. to where he was living. Right. Why? they didn't stay in a hotel. Right. What was he hiding? Yes. What was in that apartment or house or wherever he was what living? What was in his freezer? <laughs> <laughs> was thinking, something there. Yeah. Uh, it's possible he was just messy and didn't want to clean yeah, up. I don't want to think about but it. Yeah. 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 Don't look in the basement. Okay? I don't know about that. <laughs> Kids, don't take it the backyard. <laughs>
2: His, uh, his identity. So he stole a little yes. boy's identity. I yes. know you did a little research on
3: that. Tell us what you, what you well, learned and what your questions were. Yeah, so it, it occurred to me right away when you talked about stealing this child's, this little boy's identity, that he was older than this child was. Because the kid died in 1945, and, you know, Robert would have been an adult by that, or at least a young adult, maybe a, I, what was he, he was born in 1920, I don't even know, 27, 28, somewhere hmm. around in there. But he was considerably older than this child who died at the age of eight. So first of all, why did he pick an identity of someone who was considerably younger than he was? And how the heck did he find out about this kid? I mean, this was way before the internet. He had to have known where this child was born in order to get the kid's birth certificate, to get the fake social security number. And I know the kid was born in Buffalo, New York, because I just did a little research. But you had said that you saw the child's obituary and didn't remember ever seeing where he was born. That's so right. how did Robert know where? Know about this kid in the first place? Because the kid lived and died in places that I don't think no, Robert's connected Robert with did.
2: Ohio, with Indiana, with South Dakota, with California, with Michigan. Right. The identity he took is from a boy connected to New York,
3: Oklahoma, and Texas. Texas. They don't seem to... Right. So, but, you know, so and how did he ever know about this child? Maybe he went to the library and just was looking through old newspaper records. I mean, I, he could have done a microfilm right. search back then, I suppose. But it just seems... I don't know. Just so odd. Why? Why this kid? Then again, why not this kid? Uh, you know, maybe that's all he could find. You know, maybe he knew someone who knew him.
2: I was going to say. You know, I wonder if maybe talking with some of his military buddies, right. maybe somebody mentioned something
3: like, "Oh, yeah. I, I just learned my cousin died in an accident," or something right, like he, right, because it would have been about that time. You know, yeah. when he was in in yeah. the war. So, anyhow, that's okay. a big mystery. Yeah. You know, one thing that really. Amazes me with all
2: of these. Not that he, we know that he's a serial killer, but if he is, the idea of a person who can have a family, have a wife, have children, be paying their bills, be holding down a job, right. and then in their spare time they just go out and slaughter people. <laughs> right? You know what? Do you think there were enough clues in this guy's personality, either what his son had said about him or what those employees said about him, that this is the kind of guy that maybe could have Uh, been living that
3: double life easily? that's a great question. But, you know, I mean, not that I'm any expert in serial killers. I'm certainly not. But we've seen time and time again that these people sort of seem normal, maybe a little bit different on on the surface, but they don't stick out in society. And it's how they get away with this again and again and again. Um, You know, so, you know, maybe... Maybe he could. He lived a pretty simple life, you know. He lived in a pretty small, what, a studio apartment. He right. didn't slept have, in his own living room. Yeah, wow. So he didn't have a lot of wealth. He wasn't flashy. He didn't evidently socialize much with people. So he kind of flew under the radar. He probably went and did his job. Didn't draw any particular attention to himself. And maybe that's how somebody like that gets away with killing people again and again and again. You know, what's interesting, if he had died indigent, if they didn't have that
2: $80,000 in that truck to right. give to somebody, right. this probably wouldn't have gone any further. Right. The court would have just buried him in a grave, and that probably would have been it. Right. It was the need to give his... You know, bank account to somebody, to somebody. else. That really
3: if he hadn't made up the sister, it probably would have just died. They would have figured there's nobody there. And that's another thing that, that struck me is that this, he made up a sister on, I guess it was either a rental agreement or a rental application, one or the other. Right. And as a realtor, I've seen plenty of both and I've never seen the need to identify next of kin or another person, unless you need that person to co-sign, you know, for whatever reason, you don't have an employment history or you have bad credit and you need somebody to, to take responsibility for, for this lease. But that's not a normal thing, at least not now to put in a, in a lease application or a lease agreement, at least in my experience. So why even go to the bother of making up a sister? Which clearly
2: nobody bothered to check, to check anyway, even public. if it was a reference, as opposed to next. And then yeah. maybe that was it. Maybe nobody, it was a reference. Nobody even
3: bothered to check to see if it right. was a reference, right? And that that back. could have been what it was. But still, if he hadn't bothered, he why didn't he just give a coworker as a reference? You know, if he hadn't bothered to make her up, nobody would have gone digging. Right. Although I suppose he was dead, so he didn't care. But you know, just all these weird little things about oh, the story. Another
2: weird thing. No usable
3: fingerprints. Oh, yes. Yeah. If with they that? dusted your house here, would they find your fingerprints? I would think probably absolutely everywhere. I know. Uh, is it possible to file off your fingerprint? I'd, but they didn't say that that had happened. Of or, course, they didn't dust them until later, right? I mean, they didn't know there was any suspicion until. Well, yeah. that's true. That's a good
2: point. I don't know if any clean. I guess I hadn't even thought of that. Maybe there had been some cleaning done. Maybe. But part of me was like, he bought this gun three months before he killed himself. Was he making plans for this? And did he, like, wipe down his apartment right. to
3: help make sure that they didn't find out who he was? And the one thing you can't wipe the fingerprints off is the gun, is the trigger. You can't do it. Right. So why were there no fingerprints on the gun? And you would think that the police... Regardless of the circumstances, would have dusted that right away. Even if they suspected suicide, right, I would have to believe that would be routine, right? Because they don't know if it really is suicide, even if it really looks like it. You know, there are we've like seen a weirder things happen.
2: Little mysteries know, inside the story,
3: and the dropped computer. Yeah, <laughs> Which like, yeah, is you My team said just it was burning a hard drive out and look at it, I but know. apparently that ruined it. Right. But yeah, I mean, now that was somebody else's fault. But at the same time, I couldn't help thinking like, aren't they a little more careful with evidence than that?
2: Yeah. (laughs) Oh, well. Unless they did think it was a big deal. And that could be. So knowing what you know about technology today, are you pretty confident that this is a case that they're eventually going to
3: be able to solve? I hope so. Because boy, I don't really want to not know who this person is. I mean, there is this part of me that thinks, you know, was he just... Damaged in his war experience. What was this? Just a case of somebody who saw something horrific in war and couldn't, and and it and it changed his psychological makeup. And so he was paranoid and thought people were after him, and and lived. You know, was just a weird guy. Because I mean, we know he burnt the uniforms after he came home. He's this war hero, and yet he obviously hated the experience. So there is that little part of me that thinks maybe really this guy was just disturbed, but <laughs> but all these little mysteries surrounding it make me think, oh, there just is something deeper here there's there's something horrible in his past, and I want to know what it is. <laughs> I really like that you you broaden your idea of what he might have been hiding from because. Yeah.
2: That's true. I mean, I had an uncle who was in World War II, and when he came out, he ended up in an institution for a long yep. time, ran away from the institution, rejoined the military in a different branch under a different name, because now that's all he knew.
3: Oh, that's fascinating. And he
2: went back to it. Yeah. You're right. I mean, World War II, I mean, that was. This guy obviously saw the horrors of a ship getting bombed. Right. And, you know, who knows what he experienced right. there. Obviously, enough to
3: burn his uniform over it. Or did he lie about what happened on that ship? I mean, we don't know. I, I would assume there were witnesses. Well he did get a metal survivor. So I I okay, think so he did some interviews before he got his purple purple. Maybe heart, there wasn't but, something that happened there that yeah. he was running away from but oh, I don't know. I don't know. It's such a mystery. <laughs> it is a mystery. It's a I great mystery. They've gotta solve this. <laughs> <laughs> they have to solve this one. Mary Beth, thank you so much. You're so welcome. I loved having you. It was a blast. Thank you for having me.
0: that's it for tonight campers remember you can see our photos news clippings and more at our website at ohiomysteries.com you know what else you'll find at our website paula uh tell me links to all of our featured musical artists
2: oh yeah that that must mean it's time to introduce you to another one tonight we're featuring the catawicks from the dayton area they are an indie folks soul duo made up of allison justice and matt washburn and you can follow them on Facebook or Instagram. Just search for The Catawicks Music. And please hit follow or like on their pages. And if you like their music, for heaven's sake, go drop a buck and grab a song on iTunes. You know, it's, it's really hard to make a living in the creative fields. But gosh, it takes so little to show our appreciation for folks who, you know, make our lives a little brighter. Yes,
1: yes.
2: So one of them still lives in Dayton. The other is pursuing a career in Nashville. So you're just as likely to find them performing at either locale. Their next Ohio show is March 15 at Blind Bob's in Dayton. Oh, Blind Bob's. I love Blind going around. Bob's. Love Blind Bob's. No, but you know it's Dayton. A great name. So I think, you know, the next yeah. time we make a trip to Dayton to check Definitely out to the, uh, the Air Force Museum, check out, go over to Blind Bob's. <laughs>
0: For sure. So settle back, crank up the volume, and listen to the full version of their song. Sink Away, and we'll look for you right here next week for another Ohio Mystery.
1: <laughs> <laughs> slow me down good I'm down, down I never felt this way before Put your arms out